before, you know, uh, Paul kind of broke it up into sections. He first talked about how it important it is for us to walk in unity. And Brother Latham did a good job of talking about how unity and how important it is to the church. Then he kind of ta started talking about the gifts that God has given the church, and especially the gifts of ministry that he's given the church so that the saints can be equipped to carry out the work or the ministry of the church. And he, and he made a good point that everybody in God's body, you know, got a gift. God has gifted us to do something that will be a benefit to his kingdom and the benefit to those in his kingdom. And so we just need to make sure that we exercise the gifts that God's given us, whether it's preaching ministries or teaching ministries or just ministries of service. Then in, in that chapter, Paul described in general terms uh, how we are to put off the old self and put on the new self. And this transition of life from coming out of uh, death uh, in our old life into new life and walking with Christ. And, uh, and by the time he got to uh, chapter 4, 25 through 31, he described particular sins of speech and personal animosity that God considered uh, for us to uh, uh, get out of our lives. And he even got to the point where Paul said that when we don't live like God wants us to live, there's a tendency for us to uh, grieve uh, the Holy Spirit. So he admonished them and he admonished us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to find out tonight uh, as we go into chapter 5, Paul further describes action that the uh, that are unsuitable among Christians and the Christian family. And, and, and Paul understood that when it comes to some of these actions in our lives and in the lives of believers, this is a process. This is an ongoing battle, an ongoing process. As we strive to live to be mature and complete in Christ Jesus, there are more things that we're going to find out that God wants to take away from us, to get, to get out of our lives. But there's this constant battle that's going to always be going on between our old nature, our flesh, and the spirit. And so a lot of these things now that he talked about tonight, he kind of addressed them from the standpoint of our old nature and, the, and our flesh. And then seeing those things that if we don't uh, uh, deal with them, then they could hinder us from being able to walk in the light. And the thing that we got to see here, keeping in the context of what was going on in, in Ephesus uh, is that there were false teachers in the church, and they were teaching some things that went contrary to what Paul had been teaching. And some of these things involved how they saw illicit sexual activities and things of that nature. And so that's why tonight a lot of the focus is going to be some of the things that they did, that the, that the Gentiles and the heathens, they did not consider those things sinful. And even the Romans did not consider those things necessarily sinful, and so there were people who were going around and telling them and justifying certain things by saying, hey, those things, yeah, even though you may think they're bad, they're really not all that bad. No different than today. There are some things that the Bible clearly say that may be right or wrong, but then there are people who will come back and say, well, if God created it, he created it for good use, and so therefore, we ought to be able to enjoy whatever God created, getting away from where he, how he created it and what he created certain things for. And so when we understand that, we can see how when we get saved, we come from 
living in a life of darkness, and then now God expects us to start living in the light. And he's going to make that point tonight and contrast that darkness and light and what our responsibilities are as we uh, go through this lesson tonight. And so when we look at uh, chapter 5 and verse 1, you know, I want to read this, but I want to start off, you know, with a, a discussion around a question. So he says now, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his children. Now, let's think about that. First, I want to ask, what does imitate mean to you? When you hear that word, imitate, and he's telling us to imitate God, then what does imitate mean to you? How do you interpret that? How do you understand that when he says imitate? What does it mean to you? And your answer is your answer because I always believe, like Jesus told his disciples, how you read something, how you interpret it, is going to be how you apply it in your life. So when you read that, and he says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Brother Anthony, what do you think? What, what does imitate mean to you? It means that we're trying to do likewise, do the same. Okay. I hear this a lot now, now that I'm a few years older than I used to be. I ran to one of our family friends this weekend, uh, grandson was getting married. Boy, you sure look like your daddy. Not only do you look like him, you walk like him. And it's like, I'm in his footsteps trying to do what he did, cure myself like he did, speak like he did, and act like he would, if that's a good example. I think that's a perfect example. Brother Purdue, I want to come back to that. Did you want to say something along that line? You got a mic? Okay, go ahead. So, because online, you know, speak, can't hear you. I think you've turned them all on. Yeah. I'll say copying, being a copy and trying to do what someone else has done and following in their footsteps. Okay. And, and so, if we look at that, and both of y'all are pretty much saying the same thing. So now think about this. So a lot of time when God gives us instructions, there are ways that we can contrast what God is telling us with how we live in the natural. Brother Anthony, you hit it right on the head, Brother Badu. So if, if I say imitate God, then I would, could ask you that in the natural, how did you feel like you imitated your father or your parents? How did you know you was imitating? What caused you to imitate most of the time, we imitate them based on the things that we saw them do. Whether it was right or wrong, it didn't make no difference, but because they were authority figures, we figured that if they was doing it, it must be okay. And some of the things they were doing were not necessarily consistent with God, but because that was the pattern that was in front of us, we picked up some of those things. We picked up some of those, like you said, some of the things we picked up genetically, you know, from our parents. But at the same time, God now is saying to us that just like we can learn things from our parents in the natural, there are certain things he expects us to learn from him. And as we learn those things, 
He wants us to imitate him because he calls us his dear children. In other words, like you said, now that I'm his child, there ought to be certain things that I do that look like him. Just like you said, Brother Twitter, thank you. Somebody said that someone even walked like their father. You know, even talked like their father. So what I'm trying to say, even if we, that happens in the natural, the same thing ought to be happening to us in, the, in our spiritual transformation, that we should, start, we should start to walk, talk about, we should start to live like, like we are children of God. Amen. And when we live like we are children of God, people will be able to see that, and then we will be a good representative of him in the earth. Now, once he tells us to to do this because we are children of God, then he kind of gives us some instruction by, in telling us what we need to do. Because yes. in verse 2 he says now, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So as we, we know that God is love, his highest attribute, so therefore we can't go wrong if we live a life of love. So it's let me know then that one way we can imitate God is to love. And when Jesus told his disciples that the world will know you by the love that you have for one another. So he says, now get this, live a life filled with love. So that means that love has to be a priority to you. And, and, and it's sometimes difficult but sometimes you got to love some people that don't love you. And you got to learn how to love people in spite of. Because what he gives us an example is the love that Christ had for us. So look at this. He says, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So now the example that we have when it comes to love is Jesus. And he's saying that Christ lived a life to the point that he sacrificed himself for us. Now under the old sacrificial system and offering system, every sacrifice did not require animal or blood. Some sacrifice was grain offerings and different things. But here he's saying the level of sacrifice that Christ made required blood, required his life. And so he's telling us sometime we're going to have to learn how to love people in a sacrificial way where we can love them in spite of and willing to make sacrifices for them because we love them. And when we do that, it sends up a pleasing aroma to God. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice, the smell that came off of it was considered a pleasing smell to God, like a fragrant smell. And so when we live in love, then the things that we do is pleasing to God. And that's what our role ought to be as his children just like in the natural, when we really understood our relationship with our father and our mother, we really wanted to live in a way that would make them happy with us. You know, even though sometimes we did things to disappoint them, 
our intent should have been trying to do is we want to live in a way it's going to be pleasing so that whatever we offer up to God, it will be a sweet-smelling aroma. But you can't go wrong with love. Can't go wrong. Because he admonished us to live a life filled with love. Now, he's going to say a lot of things here in this chapter, and this is one thing I like about Ephesians in this chapter, you don't have to be too smart to figure out what he's trying to get us to see. You don't have to be too deep and go too, too, too much theological debates and all of that. This book is pretty plain. I mean, there's some yes and some no's, some do's and some don'ts. The thing is, is that when we don't agree with the yeses and the no's and the do's and the don'ts, then we try to justify something else to make this seem complicated. When it really, this chapter is not that hard. Really not. I'm going to show you here in a minute. Look at say. So now we want to do things that's pleasing to God because it will send up a sweet-smelling aroma, aroma, a fragrance. Then he goes into and kind of go back to something that was said in the previous chapter, start talking about how they were supposed to live. This letter is written to the church, not to the world. So that means that when he addressing things, these things had the propensity to be in the church. church. And because the people in the church were coming out of the world, they brought a lot of their tendencies, their proclivities, the things they like to do, right into the church with them. And because they were coming out of practices that they did not consider evil, because the Romans did it, the heathens did it, other people did it. All you got to do is go back and read Romans chapter 1 and 2. You'll see they were doing a lot of things that were considered okay. But things that is considered okay by culture and society and the world does not necessarily mean it's okay with with God. So you kind of got to keep that in its context. So look at it. He said, now look. Let no, somebody say no. Sexual immorality, impurity, or greed be among you. Such sins, sin, have no place among God's people. Go back and look at that individually. Let no sexual immorality. The Greek word pornonia, where we get the word pornography from, has to do with any type of illicit sexual activity. Now, what we see here, God has put a prohibition on sex unless it's under certain conditions. All sex can't be immoral. Because God created it. So it can't be immoral. It's certain things about it that can be immoral, when it is performed under the wrong condition and in the wrong way. Ah, let me look at this. So he said, now, and the reason he had to do that, again, because if you go back and read Corinthians, read Roma, sometimes sexual uh, misconduct was part of worship. They had temple prostitutes. So in certain circles, they didn't see nothing wrong with sex. And in its truest sense, there is nothing wrong. But what happens is, 
it looks like God intended for it to be within the constraints of marriage. Amen? Amen. But flesh don't agree with that. Flesh don't agree with that. Because if flesh agreed with it, most of us would have been virgins when we got All of us would have been virgins when we got married. So he's saying, let no sexual immorality be among you. He said, or impurity, doing things that is considered unclean, or greed. In other words, having, you know, you can be to the point where you're never satisfied with something. Here it can be talking about money, it can be talking about possession, it can be talking about, it can be talking about anything that can become so much a part of you that you get to the point where you almost worship that thing. Because later on he's going to connect greed with idolatry. So there are certain things that can become such a part of our lives that if it get to the point where it becomes more important than God, then it becomes our our God. We can idolize some things. Brother Hurt, you got a mic? And then it just occurred to me in my, my thought was is that he says um, soon after he's gonna say such sin. Such sin. But we know what sin brings. And sin brings death and nothing smell good about sinful things because that's dead that's dead death uh, so I'm just saying is that if you if you're doing a sinful act or if you practice a sinful act you are actually you letting in to a point of death okay I mean I mean that's 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 the way I that's the way I kind of look at look at that, in the sense that uh, if you're doing sinful things that is not um, pleasing to God, that brings death. You know the the Bible said the consequence. You know, you know the wages of sin is death. Now whether or not someone die physically every time they sin, it may or may not always happen, but something in their spiritual relationship with God. Is gonna die every time you sin. Because if 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 a sinful act produced immediate death, most of us wouldn't be here. I didn't say immediately death. I mean it it would bring it would bring death upon you. I mean that's that's Adam's I mean. sin brought that death upon us. That's that's very true. And when very death, true. because of his sin, yes. death came into the world. Right. And so that consequence is going to happen to all of us, whether we live good or bad. Everybody going to die. Everybody going to, well, well, unless you're here when Jesus comes back. But if you're not here when Jesus comes back, physically, we're going to all die. That's just the natural order of things. This body. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. This, this, this yeah. body. Yeah, this body is going to die. The spirit is going to live 
and then eventually end up somewhere. But the natural body, the physical body, is going back to the dust from which it came. And the reason that consequences, what you're saying, is when Paul said in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Well, when Adam sinned, death came into the world. And so what we see here, he says, now, when we get into this thing about sin and sexual sin, he, he tells them, let none of these things exist among you. So he starts with sexual immorality, and you can list anything you want. That's a broad category. That's, I'm not going to try to go through and highlight every little thing that could be that, but you can use your own imagination. You know what is, just by being brought up in the natural, our parents tried to tell us, don't do this until you get married. Don't do that. Don't go out there and do that because you're going to mess around and get somebody pregnant. Don't do that. They, they knew that there was consequences for doing things outside of the will of God. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question then, Pastor. I know that you said that we will die. Well, what does that mean then when, you, when we say when Jesus was crucified and you believe upon him, and when he says, now death don't have no power on you, on us. He's talking spiritual death. We gonna, I'm talking the but, physical but, part where God says you're going to return to the dust. This body is going to return to the dust unless you're living when he come back and be caught up with him. But then, but then it's the same thing here, though. What I'm saying is that with sin, we're we also talking about a spiritual death. When that's what I mean about when you okay. Well, you didn't say spirit. I got you now. You see what I'm saying? I mean, you. I mean, I, we understand about the body because we're gonna get a new body. I mean, that's when Jesus comes. That's a new body. But at the same time, is that this sinful thing, the act that you do, is a spiritual thing also to a point that that's we, death. We're agreeing on that. I ain't no ain't no disagreement okay. on that at all. Okay. When, when, when we don't necessarily die physically every time we do something wrong. But there's something that we lose in our spiritual relationship with God when we sin. Because I can tell a lie right now, and unless God's going to strike me dead like he did Ananias and Sapphira, I'll probably still be standing right here. But something on the inside of me is going to lose that relationship because now I'm walking in sin. And he gives me a chance to repent when I error, because he know that there's a possibility, like Paul know here, because this is a process, he know that there's a possibility that before you die, you're going to error. And so therefore, you have an opportunity to say, okay, if you ever you can confess that he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and unrighteousness. But because we know he's going to forgive us, that is not permission for us to go out and practice something and believe that we can keep going back and asking God to forgive us for the same thing. Because there's a difference between erring in something and practicing something. But then, is, he, is this is a warning on the sense of practicing immorality? If you're practicing it? But this is, this is, where, I'm, this is where I see it. When, it. when he says, don't do these things, that means to me, disease invisible is practicing that sinful walk. No agreement, disagreement okay. there. Right. There's a good possibility. The reason he had to write this to this church is because some of these things were being taught to them and they would continue to do them even after they came into relationship with Christ. Because this is the church now, writing it, he says now, and it, it's going to kind of clear itself up as we go down. He said, now look, 
Let no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed uh, be among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. So there are certain things that, that, that just don't match up with us when it comes to being Christian. There are certain things that, that we did before our relationship was established with Jesus Christ and we go through that rebirth and giving our life to Christ and the Spirit of God coming into us as we are uh, coming into relationship with him. There are certain things that no longer supposed to match up with us because last time he was talking about as you walking in the new man, the old man has to die. And so now, today we get in here, he's talking about how important it is for as the new man for us to walk in the light as opposed to walking in darkness. And we're going to see here in a minute that, that light and darkness cannot coexist. You're going to be either one or the other. They don't occupy the same space at the same time. And so that's a contrast. He let us know that, hey, as Christians, there are certain things because we are God's children that shouldn't be able to occupy the same space with his spirit. The spirit of God dwells in us. Get a mic, because I'm lying and we want to make sure they can hear what you're saying. When we sin, having the spirit of the Lord in, within us, whenever we sin, it, it, it's kind of like dormant. It gets dormant. It's not communicating together. You cannot separate yourself from that spirit, you know. What, what, and, and, and I agree with you in a sense. What you're saying is that if we know that God's spirit is in us and we continue to do things that goes against what he represents in us, Last week, I think he talked about we can grieve the Holy, the Holy Spirit. The only reason he would be grieved and being in us is because we're doing something that, that make him sorry. Make him sorry. And so when we get to that point, then the Bible does talk about whether or not he will stay in an unclean Form. temple. Yes. And so, so that's why it's important when we do error, we do make mistakes, we can't take that for granted. We got to go back and get things right with God. And, and he realized that we will error. But again, like Herb said, and like we said before, is a difference between erring and practicing. When we practice something over and over and over, that is not error. So now look at it. He says now, so, so he gets a little deeper, and he starts dealing with, with other things. He says now, let no greed be among you and all these things, no sin have no place among God's people. Verse 4, he says, now look. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Wow. Obscene stories. You know, you know when something ob obscene, it normally got some type of overtone, then the most obscenity go along with sexuality, you know. You know, sometimes you looking at a movie, it tell you that there, in the rating up there, you know, say, there's going to be some obscenity in here, some nudity in here, some that and there. It lets you know 
that when, when things are obscene, in man's eyes, it may be okay, but in God's eyes, it's not. So he says now, obscene stories. Then, foolish talk, buffoonery. And then coarse jokes. That coarse, that when you look that up, that come back to, you know, being vulgar. Because the context here, all he's saying, he talks about is things that we can do that can be sinful and God not be pleased because we are his children. And so God got a problem with us telling vulgar jokes. Or listening to people tell jokes that are vulgar. You got a problem. Now, I'm not trying to tell you to regulate how, what you do. You got to let the Holy Spirit do that. But, but I do believe there's certain television programming that could be hazardous to your health, your spiritual health. You just can't watch everything and let it get into your spirit over and over and over again. Because what happens is as you watch that and get in your spirit, it will start coming out of you. You'll start saying some of the things that you see and hear over and over again. Now, I don't, I, you know, I'm not, I can't regulate what you watch, but that's what the Holy Spirit job is. What is something that you won't watch may be something that somebody else will watch, but I'm telling you, if you're watching stuff with too much nudity in it, you may be getting yourself in trouble. This is why the word tells us to die daily. You know, when you die in the flesh, you come alive in the spirit. So when you when you have a relationship with God, your spirit that's in you, it'll guide you and it'll tell you, you know, not to do a certain thing and not to hear or say certain things because you're dying daily in the spirit of God. Paul did say that we have to crucify yes. the flesh daily. Because again, it is understood that this war that go on between us with the spirit and the flesh yes. is going to go on forever. Yes. And, and you got to win some battles every, every day. Because there's going to be opportunities for things to pop up in your life that could be sinful. The problem is now, and we're going to see later, is that there are people out there, we don't all classify everything that God classifies as sin, sin. Some things that God classifies as sin, man calls it pleasure. Long as I ain't hurt nobody, I can do this. Just me, it's for pleasure. But if it goes against God's word, then there got to be something in you 
that say, even when I'm by myself, this pleasure is unacceptable to God. Because whether I'm with you or by myself, I am still his, his child. That make it any sense? He said, now look, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. In other words, it says, hey, look, instead of having all this go on amongst you in the church, look, we need to be spending time showing thanks to God, thanking him for what he has done, for what he's, he's doing in our life, giving him thanks as much as possible for, for, what he, for what he's done in our life and give thanks to others and continue to, you know, build each other up and be thankful for one another instead of being caught up in sin with one another. Amen. So he said, let us be thankful. Now look at it. Now look, verse 5, he said, now look. You can be sure. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Tie both of them together to show that oneness there. He says, now, you can be sure. Now, obviously, you kind of got to, he used that word, inherit. Inherit leads me to believe that there is something that is stored up for you that you're supposed to in, inherit. And he's saying you can be sure that if you're practicing immoral things, impure things, and you're a greedy person, will no one in that category will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, he's going to tell us a little bit more why here in a minute, but let me ask you this. Let's play this out in the natural. And most of us got kids. And if you're smart, you got a will. And in your will outlines your inheritance, what you want your children to inherit. Now, all of us probably different, depending on what you got, how you got it, what it meant to you. Is there a line that when your children get to that line, you can say, hey, look here, I was going to leave you this. But because of the way you've been acting, because of what you've been doing, I'm going to make a decision to not leave that to you. Y'all don't think folks do that? Is it right or wrong? Some people say, are you going to reward a disobedient child who's been disobedient all life? And then all of a sudden, you got other kids who've been obedient, doing everything right. You're going to give him just as much as you give that one? That's up to you. It's yours. That's why it's called inheritance. But I'm saying, God is saying, regardless of what we say, he's going to look at his children, and based upon how they've been acting, it's going to impact their inheritance. Well, let me just read this again, Brother Herb. I, you know, I know you're agreeing with this. I, I, I can see the smile on your face. He, he says, well, let me just read it. Then, then you, if you got a comment against it, then argue with the scripture. Look at this. You can be sure that no immoral, 
impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So if you're worshiping the things of this world, that means the things of this world become your God. That's why he calls them idolaters. And why would God leave an inheritance for someone that worships? Go ahead, Brother Herb. I, I, it's, it's different. The uh, only thing that I was discerning when Jesus was given a, a parable about the prodigal son. That's all. I, I mean, you know. But what did the prodigal son do? Yeah, he, he went out and, and did his thing. But what did he do? Yeah, when he came to his senses. But I'm just, I, but I'm, I'm just saying that he asked for his, when you said that, Pastor, when you gave him I'm the I'm just reading what the scripture says. I, I know, ain't saying nothing. I, I, I'm just saying that's the only reason why I gave, because the, the boy asked for his inheritance. He came to his. But I'm just saying, the boy asked for his inheritance. He repented. But he asked for his inheritance first. No, he didn't ask for nothing. He didn't. He didn't ask for nothing. He said, give, give me what, didn't he say? He, he said, I ain't even worthy of being a slave. Treat me like a slave. Before that, pastor, before that, what did he ask? He said, give me my inheritance now. And he squandered it. So, he, yeah, he I, asked for I'm it. Just, I'm, I'm, that's the only reason I, I smiled. And that's, that's a whole com completely different uh, of a scenario, but I was just that came to my mind when he asked for his, his inheritance first. He went there, came to his senses. Yes, he repented, he rebelled, came to his senses, got ruined, and the father came back in. I'm just only when you said when we leave an inheritance someone, but I'm just saying this son asked for it earlier, and, it, and he different and scenario to her is absolute oranges. When you leave an inheritance, you die. But he asked for his. Well, I, uh, let me I'm finish. When, he, when you leave an inheritance, you die. It was rude to go and ask for your inheritance before your father or your mother died. He did. He did. And the father, because of his goodness, gave it to him. He can do that. You can do that to your sons right now. Or your children right now. I can do that to my children. If I got an inheritance from them, and if one of them said, Dad, I want mine now. I know what the wills say. I know you done broke this thing up into thirds. Give me my third now. And if I feel like they can handle it, I may say, okay, I'm going to peel it off to you right now. But if you get out there and waste it, I ain't going to take from your other two sisters and give to you. Now, that's my choice. I could. I could be like the guy in the parable say, hey, two sisters, look here. You know, baby sisters went out there and cut the food. Now, you know, she hit rock bottom. I'm going to take a, another third from y'all, put back on her. Now, they can have issue with that, but I got a right to do that if that's what I choose to, to do. Just like God. He got a right to forgive somebody I don't even agree with. He got a right. But right here, he's saying that, hey, if you do these things, it's a possibility you could miss out on your inheritance. Brother Willie? You know, that's a true statement because I, 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 I got to admit that I, I have done, done this myself to my sons. You know, I, I give, but then when you ask for something, you give it, but then when you don't do right, 
you come right back and you take it away from them. And then you go out and do something else for another child. And, and then people say, you're showing favoritism. But you're not showing favoritism because what pastor is saying right now is inherent. You're trying to show them the right road to walk in so that they will be blessed for the rest of their life. But uh, wouldn't that be considered greedy? Well, I mean, greed, I see greed if you already got it and you want more. When you're in the pig pen eating slop, you ain't got it. That ain't greed. That's coming back to my sense that I know who my daddy got at his house, and I'd rather go back and live at his house again than to stay in this hog pen, even if I got to be a servant in his, in his house. The thing was that the father was more loving than the older brother expected. Because he could do that. But I'm saying proud, too. Huh? Proud, too, when he asked for his inheritance. Proud, too? I, that you, you can look at that. You may be able to tie greed to that. I can't say. I think what I would tie more to it is disrespecting of his father. You know, it, it was kind of rude to say, hey, give me mine now and let me leave because I because I don't like the way you're running things around the house. You know, I, I don't like the stuff that's going on, so look, just give me mine. Because you could have gave it to him, he stayed there. Obviously, he wasn't happy at home. He felt like maybe the rules were too tight. You know, some of y'all children have felt like the rules too tight. And you tell them, okay, you, two grown men can't live in this house. You, you know, rules too tight now, one of us got to go. I mean, you, that's what you can do as a, as a, as a, as a, as a father. Now, if he come to his sister and come back after he's been in the hog pen, you can take him back in and you and mom can love him just like you love the ones that didn't go to the hog pen. But what we see here is that God is just trying to get us to see in this particular context that the people who are practicing these things, he was trying to warn this church, if you get into the practice of doing these things, then there's a possibility you can jeopardize your inheritance. Inheritance. So now look, because they were worshiping the things of this world, that worshiping word that is important, because now when the things of this world become a part of your worship, then they're going to keep you from worshiping God. And anything that's going to go before God, you know, the Bible is true. It says God is a jealous God. I mean, he gave Jesus for us, but he still didn't give Jesus for us, for us to go out there and worship something, another God. Amen. Amen. So now look at this. He said now, in verse 6, he says, don't be fooled by those who try to make excuses for these sins. Don't, hey, look, there's going to be some folks that, well, you know, ain't nothing wrong with it. Ain't nothing wrong with you wanting a little bit more and more and more of this and don't care about other folks to get it. Nothing wrong with this. Ain't nothing wrong with this immoral living, you know. Sex is pleasure. God wants you to have pleasure. He wants you to have leisure. You know, just like you work, you got to have some pleasure. In the culture that we live in, glorify that. See, we, we, we now, we talk from where we are now versus where we were. Some of y'all glorified it too before you got saved. That's why you tell I ain't doing it no more than next week. Next weekend. I, I Go ahead. You know how a lot of times they say, "Why say 
feel safe. I don't feel like that exactly is the truth. If you can baptize and, and doing God, living for God, and then you find yourself in a different situation doing things that you're not supposed to, and God forbid died while you're doing these things, how can you go to heaven while you're sinning? I got to make sure I'm understanding what your question is, what the point you're trying to My make. My question is, okay, let me say, every, when, when you're saved, when you're saved, you are saved for good, that you can't lose your, your, your inheritance, like you say. Well, now let me, let me stop right there. Now, that, that, there's two camps on that thought. That, that, that's why I say that. One camp believe once saved, always saved, no matter what you do. Uh-huh. There's another camp to believe you can turn your back on God and renounce him, and you can lose something. Now, I don't know what camp you may fall in, but some say that a person that do that never really had the relationship with God because if he did, he wouldn't fall away. Okay. But, but the Bible in Hebrew does say if you don't taste his goodness and turn your way away from it, it's going to be hard to come back, yes. back to it. So I won't get into that debate of once saved, always saved, or can you lose your salvation? Because this topic is not about them losing their salvation. This is about trying to help them to live right and then determine whether or not that inheritance is going to be their form. Because you can be saved, I do believe, and then still, when you get to heaven, not get the rewards that you think you're going to get. Paul kind of talks about that when he talked to Timothy you know, as if that, that there's going to be crowns or blessing that's connected to us when we get to heaven, not just getting into heaven. And Hebrews talk about when you go in, you want to go in a way with so much glory that you're represented and praised when you go into heaven versus just barely getting in. So those are arguments that theologians go back and forth on. For me, personally, now that I know who Jesus is, I will say for myself, I'm saved forever because I'm not going to do anything that's going to cause me to lose my salvation. And the one thing that he said, because everything else is forgivable, but he said if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you know, it's going to be hard for you. So I ain't got, I, I, even when I was the biggest fool in the world, I didn't have enough sense to go out there and blaspheme God's Spirit. Amen. So now that I know that, I won't do that. But I'm not saying that I won't ever sin again. But I'm saying that if I do, then I know I got a way back to him. One sin is not going to keep me from entering into God's kingdom. It's because they're looking at um, verse 4. Chapter 5 and verse 4. Is, isn't that where we're at? We, no, we were down in verse 6. Yeah, but I, I was just making a reference. Okay. You know, so for this is known that homemongers are non unclean person, not covetous man. Who is in idolatry at any inheritance? That means they would lose. I don't think inherit the inheritance I'm talking about is something that you get. I think it's something that you don't enter. You don't get. So he says here, he says now, don't be fooled. He says, look, a greedy person will not inherit the kingdom. Because he in this passage, you're right, he's equating that to saying that if you have, in essence, you've gotten to the point where God is no longer your God. Because he is tying that to being an idolater. To the point that you're saying, hey, I have renounced God. I'm going to turn my back on him. If you do that, 
then you're no longer saying that you're a child of God. You are renouncing God. I don't think most people who are saved, even though they may be doing some crazy things, I don't think they wake up in the morning and say, I no longer want to be a child of God. I don't believe in God. I just don't think they wake up. Now, if some people do that, I don't know. But, but hear what he said. He said, now look, once you get to this stage, you're not just a casual person making a mistake. He said, you become an idolater, worshiping. Well, you can't worship God and mammon. You can't worship God and the things of this world. So if you start worshiping something else, then you have changed your allegiance from one God to another. Worshiping. That's a big step for even a person who may not be the most holy Christian. Most people, even though they're in the church trying to live right, they don't go out and start worshiping something other than God. Now, I say most, not all, maybe not all, some people may, but I don't believe most people, when they come into their relationship with Jesus and they learn, they grow, that they will knowingly just go out and start worshiping. That would be almost like to me, all of a sudden, I wake up and say, man, I'm saved, but I really want to understand, you know, what this devil worship is about. I want to go over here and learn about the pentagram, and I want to learn about this and what they do. I want to do some of these prayers and chants they're doing. Well, I think God going to have a problem with that. I don't went now and teamed up with his arch enemy. I don't think he's going to be pleased with that. But I don't think that most of us is crazy enough to go to that far to do something like that unless someone is cunning enough and crafty enough to pull us away from the truth to go and start worshiping the lie. So, so, brother? No, the only thing I will say it is that True, you know, true thing that I would say that uh, don't you think God would know your heart with true repentance and believing on him? Well, I, I, the Bible said that God know the heart. Who, who can know the heart of man right. except God? And, and, I, and so, therefore, I can't judge your heart. Right. All I can look at is your action. Correct. And, and, and do you think a good heart that loved God will take you over here and sit down and worship that Satan? I'm just asking. I, I, I would think that God would know um, your heart when you truly repentance. I think he Wait, would. now, you're talking, the, the truly repentance, that's true, that's a different thing. I, 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 but I, I'm I, just I, saying, that now that you're given, if a good-hearted herd came over here and sit down and worship the devil, is that a good heart? Or do you think God believes your heart could be where you are? I, I, I don't think you, since he knows all things and he knows your heart, I truly don't believe that he will, that, that you will turn your, that your heart will be turned away. You're making my point. That's what I'm saying. I, I, don't, I don't think. If you, you are truly his child, like we go back to the beginning of this, then I don't believe no true child of yours would truly turn away from you. Yeah. It would take something really, really, really strong to pull a child away from there. Yeah, and that, that's the point I'm trying to, to establish to where, because Jesus said, I can't accept you. You, you, only, you know, only if your father sent you to me, 
Amen. I mean, he wants sense on one that to have a, you know, a de deceiving heart. Amen. Now, now and, 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 and that could be true in some cases, but apparently in this church, there were some people that may have been confused. Because he tell them here, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. So God can't get upset. What that looks like, how he carried that out, what may be the consequences, I don't want to find out. But the Bible said God got the potential. He could get upset. Now, how, how long do you go before you spank little Johnny? I mean, you, you got a limit. Most of us in the old days, now the young days, it time out and all this, they may, not, they may not do spanking no more. They may reason, they sit down and talk and communicate. But how long will you communicate with little Johnny before you get your communication gets stronger and firmer and you start, if you ain't going to spank him, you start taking some stuff away from him. So I'm saying God must have a limit that he will go to before we cross that line to now God is angry at us. He's no longer, you know, just okay understanding. Now I'm upset. You know, somebody preached a sermon a year, long years ago, back in the 17, 1800. You know, you don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God. So, for the anger of God will fall on who will disobey him. Then he come back and tell us another don't. Verse 7, don't participate in these things, these things that we've been listing up there. These people do. Most of the time we get caught up when we start doing things that we see other people do that may not be saved. When we still allow people outside the body of Christ to influence us. But sometimes we can be influenced by people in the church who ain't living nothing. Because he's talking about, you know, these were false believers, other people that were intertwined with them in the church. So I say, don't be fooled by them. But at the same time, you know, you got to make sure that you don't participate in these things in the things these people do. You know, have no share of it. So there's some time when other Christians may not be where you are, they may go out and do something that you feel like, hey, I ain't going to have no share in that. Now, for you, it may be wrong or sinful, but for them, it may not. So, like for me, I tell people all the time, you know, alcohol is just not me. And I don't mind being around people who drink alcohol, so I don't have no fear of going around them, but I will not participate with them. I don't care what the occasion is. Why? Because for me, God has told me I don't need to do that. And so if I know he done spoke to my heart about doing that, and for me to do it, for me it would be a sin, but it may not be a sin for Brother Herb. Because Brother Herb may work on the principle, as long as I don't get drunk, Pastor, you ain't got nothing to say. Brother Herb be right. You're right, Brother Herb. The sin is drunkenness. You're right, Brother Herb. We just disagree. I just agree that I'm, I'm not going to drink. You're going to drink. And if you don't cross that line, I ain't got nothing to say. But I may not want to be there with you and participate and be around you while you're doing it. 
I got a choice to make. So, Pastor, are you basically saying uh, uh, a person needs to establish a relationship with Christ for themselves? Oh, yeah, every individual. You, you, you know, it's an individual walk. This is not a, we, we, we function as a body, as a group, but our relationship with God is individually. That's why we all grow at different rates. That's why we learn at different rates. That's why we respond with our spirit. Not the same. Because everybody grows different. Just like natural children. Natural children don't, even in the same families, don't grow the same way. Don't learn everything exactly the same time, same way. And don't act the same way. Even though they're in the same family. Some children mature quicker than others. And so it's the same way in our walk with Christ. There's some people, regarding, now don't think of age when I use the word maturity, think of growth. Some people will mature in their relationship with Christ, even though they may not have been saved for two years. I have a question. Versus somebody who may have been in the church for 10 years, but they ain't putting in the work. They ain't trying to grow. They ain't doing the things that leads to grow. So your question? So, just hypothetically saying or speaking, Okay. If I were to be at a restaurant somewhere eating and you so happen to come into that environment, the same restaurant, and I was drinking some wine, mm -hmm. would you see me the same? <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, I probably would. Because back then I was very dogmatic in my approach to say that anybody didn't do what I did, you know, it had to be wrong, because I didn't drink nothing, and I had an issue with anybody who drunk anything, because I, I was just that hard on alcohol. And so I'll never forget, one day we was at the Olive Garden with some young people, and uh, this is a true story. <laughs> and while we were sitting there, you know, Olive Garden, they always ask you, would you like wine with your dinner? Well, 80% of the people at the table looked right at me <laughs> to see what I was going to say. But there was one outlaw that hadn't been under me long. They said, yeah, bring me some wine. And when he said that, everybody looked at him like, are you out your mind? You done ordered a glass of wine and wine here in the city? But at that time, you know, that was kind of where I was at. But now I know that drunkenness is a sin. So I really don't major on that, those things. But if you cross that line, I ain't going to cut you no slack. So are you saying that if we were to go out to dinner as a church group to Olive Garden and somebody got a, a drink of wine, you wouldn't have anything to say about it? I wouldn't have no problem with it. If you sit there and drink the whole bottle, though, and then somebody got to assist you to your car, then, yeah, I'm going to have a problem with that. I'm going to have a problem with that. You know, it, another true story. When we used to have our anniversary and we go out and have big things, People, some people who drink wine say, Pastor, we want wine on the table at anniversary. Ain't no sin against that, but I've always said no. I probably will still say no to that because when I allow the church to have an anniversary and we put it on the table, look, I'm enabling you now. And, and I don't want to look like I'm enabling you, but if you're going and you're paying for your own meal and you want a glass of wine, I mean, you go ahead and do your thing. So, so I understand, and you got to understand, we're dealing with people there are Christians who drink not just wine, but very strong drink. Amen. So the, but the sin is, I wouldn't encourage that 
and I would hope that everybody that hung around me wouldn't do that. But if they did and they get drunk, I couldn't hold that against them because I understand where that line is, and, but I'm not afraid to call. See, what happens is the church get afraid to call sin. sin. You can call things sinful without calling out the person. I can stand here and say, hey, drunkenness is a sin. The Bible just said fornication is a sin. But I ain't calling out no name. But if the fornicator is hearing me, he's getting tight right now. He is, he can squirm. Well, why you got to go? I ain't call your name. I just called out the sin. He trying to judge me. Now, I don't even know who you are. I'm just saying God says fornication is a sin. That's it. Let me read on that. He said, now look. He says, now look, Brother Herb, just and you all, he said, now look, this is where we were. He says, for once you were full of darkness. How many of you know we was all there? Before you got saved, you, you didn't know it because we were doing stuff in the dark and we thought that was good. The stuff that we did in the dark, we didn't think that was really evil or sinful because we kept doing it until somebody told us, hey, that's a better life. And so we had to be taught because, hey, man, I didn't see nothing wrong with going out and, and, you know, having illicit sex at 16 and 17 because all my friends were doing it. And nobody challenged me on that. Not even the older men in our line. So therefore, coming up, that wasn't looked at as no cross and you cursed. Hey, man, oats, go saw them. And so when you come up with that misguided teaching and you run up on this in the Bible, then now you won't try to justify what we were doing that was wrong. Instead of saying, hey, man, we just, we just ignorant. We got to admit, we was in darkness. And we came out of darkness into the... So he said, now look, he, this is all of us. He says, for once you were full of darkness, but now, somebody say, but now. But now you have light from the Lord. So now he says, live in the light. So as people of light, live in the light. So therefore, now that we're in Christ and his light is in us, we're supposed to live like people of light. And therefore, as people of light, we're not supposed to flick on and flick off. Meaning that even now when we go into the midst of darkness, the light is still supposed to stay on. Now, I just came back from a wedding celebration. And, and champagne was flowing like I don't know what, because it's natural. I ain't got no problem with that. As long as none of the folks that I knew got drunk, I, I, they ain't get drunk from me. I ain't see it. There ain't no problem with that. But while the champagne was flowing, I was just left watching them soak it up. Because my light was still shining. I could have said, man, I'm over here in a foreign country on an island, and ain't nobody from striving but these folks that most of us from Kidnamese and know me. I could go ahead and just have me a little sip right now. And so it wasn't nothing simple about it, but for me, my light said, I can't do that. You may feel like you can, but my light said, I can't. And so for me, it would have been simple for me. I know that me and God got this relationship. When I say I have been delivered from alcohol, I have been delivered from alcohol for all occasions. 
There is no occasion that caused me to want to have a drink. But now for you, ain't nothing wrong with that because I can find celebration in the Bible. Jesus' first miracle at a celebration. So don't hate on me because my light is shining. You just keep on drinking. But if you get drunk, I'm going to have something to say about it. Because if I don't, then now it looks like I'm endorsing your behavior. Oh, boy, that's what Paul was trying to get him to see here. He says, now look. He says, he says, now look. For you were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live, live, conduct yourself as people of light. Look at verse 9. For this light within you produce only what is good, right, and true. When we get saved and light come in us, it's supposed to produce good in us versus evil, right versus wrong, and truth versus lies. The good, when you get saved, is supposed to produce these things in us. But if we don't allow the Spirit to work in us, it won't produce those things. So you'll be saved and still lying. You'll be saved and still living wrong. You'll be staying saved and still doing evil. Because you're practicing what you came to the Lord with and you don't allow the Holy Spirit to move on your heart to change you and transform you from that darkness to light. He said, now look, so carefully, somebody said carefully. So this is each one of y'all. You got to carefully determine for you what pleases the Lord. I know for me drinking alcohol don't please him. I've carefully determined that. I know for me gambling don't please him. I've carefully determined that. Even though if I wanted to go back, I can justify to say, but it ain't sinful. I pay my tithe. I pay my bills on tithe. It's recreation. It's relaxing. To pull the slot. Ching, ching. Ching, ching. It's, it's just, I feel so good every time I scratch them off. It's just a good feeling because I scratch with anticipation. This next one just give me a rush. It could be the one. But for somebody else, that may be okay. But for me, that would be going back to darkness. So I ain't got no problem if you got scratch-offs in your pocket right now. I mean, that's that what you want to do? Do you. But if you ain't paying your rent and your car notes and taking care of your family and you got a pocket full of scratch-offs, then I think God got a problem with you. So now look, he said, now look, he said, now look, boy, I tell you, this, that's why I say this is easy tonight. This is practical. So you got to carefully determine for you what pleased the Lord. Then he says, verse 11, take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, ex, this is where Christians get afraid right now. You don't have to go out and call Brother Herb this or that. You just need to stand up in front of people and tell them what the words say. I ain't got to say Brother Herb is a drunk. This person drunk. I don't know. I just need to say the Bible says drunkenness is a... And the Holy Spirit is going to ex, expose that. And if they are a child of God, it's going to convict 
them. Especially if they know, if the spirits say it is But a lot of times, Christians, we go around other people, and so to win their approval, we turn off the light. When you're sitting in a conversation, and somebody talking about something that you know against the, go against the word of God, you got to stand and say, hey, that ain't right. Based on God's word, that is wrong. And when you do that, then now you're not aiding them with your silence. When people say things and do things in front of you that you know is wrong and you don't say nothing, it's almost like you're endorsing what they do. I know it's hard sometimes because we don't want to be accused of judging folks. You ain't judging them. You're just saying what the Bible says. I, I can say right now, hey, drunkenness is a sin. That's a true statement. And if you're not a drunk, that just went right over your head. Hey, he ain't talking to me. But if you're drunk, why you got to be picking on me? I ain't picking on you. I just said that's living in darkness. And you're supposed to be a child of light. He said, now look, take no part in these works as deeds of evil and darkness. He said, look, man, boy, he hit us hard right here. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. You know, we shouldn't be going and getting them tabloids. You know, on your way out, the, at the, out, out of Walmart, the grocery store, you can get in there and see who done did this and last week. Ooh, you just get into that. I just want to see who, which movie started and had sex outside of marriage. Who finna get divorced? He's saying, look, man, we shouldn't get no pleasure in reading stuff like that. Let me, let me, let me tell you funny. He used the word shameful. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by your conscience of something that you think is wrong or foolish. You look up and pick and read that, man, you say, oh, man, my conscience, man, that's, that's so foolish. Such and such finna get married for the seventh time. That is so I ain't even buying that. I don't even want to read the story. Well, I just want to see what it's like. No, you're going to get trapped. Because you're going to get into gossip and not reading other folks' life and business. Leave it up. I'm just not saying, I'm just for me. You got to determine what is shameful for you. Don't, don't have bone time. I ain't trying to stop you from getting your tabloids on the way out of Walmart. Wherever you shopping by your groceries. You may even get them in the mail. You don't even have to do that. Now you can just go online and find them. Just Google. Siri, whoever. They'll give you all the latest gospel on folks. Why are we Christians so interested in what ungodly folk do? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. Stuff that they do in secret. <laughs> it ain't like they do it out in the open. We're trying to find out what they're doing in. Look at this. The first day. I, that's why I laughed when I got to this part. They said, but, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. 
That is why it is said, now this is not a direct quote from a scripture, but some several parts of it. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Talking about when we were considered in the world living in darkness, we were considered asleep and spiritually dead. So he said, now that we have been enlightened, that we are to awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. When we come into the knowledge of who he is and what he has done for us, and we understand God's word, that enlightenment, our mind get illuminated. That's what enlightenment means. We get an understanding, we get a knowledge of God. And as we get a knowledge of him in the light, it should cause us not to want to live in darkness. When I know what I believe is truth based on God's word, I shouldn't want to go back and live the lie. Now look at this. Then he says, in verse 15, he starts talking about how important it is for us to live by the power of the Spirit. He says, look, so be careful. Somebody said, be careful. Man, he's telling church folk, you got to be cautious and avoid missteps. Because if you're not careful, you can have a misstep. See, if I had not been careful down there in St. Lucia, I could have had a misstep. I mean, because it was leftover champagne. Didn't want it to go to waste. I could have had a... I'm just trying to help them keep them pointed out. I could have had a... A misstep. Ain't nobody out here. Keisha ain't going to tell on me. Candace ain't going to tell on me. Because they drink it, son. They ain't going to tell on me. And they're going to probably think, okay, it's okay. Then all of a sudden now, Somebody got me out there on their Facebook page. That's our pastor. Oh, he done had a misstep. He done went down, he done went down there and had a... Now, for anybody else, that wouldn't be a misstep. If you don't get drunk and you do that. But for me, it is. Because I, my conviction is God told me not to do it anymore. And he may not have told you that. So for me, I got to be careful because that'll be a misstep. It'll be like someone who's been dealing with alcoholism. They can't afford to have a, a misstep. Because that's what the devil wants us to do, is to have a, a misstep. He says now, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So in other words, they don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, because if we want wisdom, we can get it from above. Then he says, now because we're in the light, Brother Herb, we're supposed to make the most of every opportunity that we get in these evil days. I mean, you know, we're living in the evil days. These days that back then was evil, they still evil. Ain't nothing changed. He writing this letter to the church. You know, sexual sins were back there, all the way back in the, in the beginning. Sexual sins run all the way through the Bible. All the way through the Bible. And it runs all the way through 2023. Not just in the world, but in the... Man, sex ain't off limit because you done came through the door, son. It's still in the... So if, he, if you don't address it, then folk will think, hey, they don't care about certain things. But the Bible, you got to read the Bible. Could have skipped this chapter. 
Let's go on to the one and jump on marriage. Now, we just talk about the married folks. Let's just deal with them. No, but before he got to the married folks, he had to deal with the whole church. He said, no, if we are doing those things in darkness, then we're going to miss some opportunities to witness to some people. Because what it does is hinder our witness when you try to go and tell somebody about the Lord, and then they're going to play your life, play you back to you. Wait a minute. I saw what you were doing when we was over there, and you did go past the limit. Somebody had to drive you home. Now you need to go home and repent. Because it ain't a sin unto death, but it is a sin. And you can't just blow it off. That's why if we say the Lord's Prayer every day and sincerely mean it, he covers that. Because he know daily there's a potential for us to do something sinful. Not just alcohol, it could be anything that God considers sin. So he says, now look at verse 17, I'm going to stop at verse 20. He says, don't act thoughtlessly. In other words, don't be foolish. But understand what God, what the Lord wants you to do. You got to understand for yourself what the Lord wants you to do. And once you understand that, you got to do it. And don't compare you, what the Lord wants you to do with what somebody else is doing. Just like I said, I could have either compared myself to other people who gamble and other people who drink alcohol and all that because I can say, hey, it ain't a sin. Jesus turned water into wine. They cast lots in the Bible to decide certain things. Ain't nothing wrong with gambling. If you want to gamble, go out there and gamble. It's not a sin. Go play bingo and try to win. It's a game of chance. Ain't nothing wrong with it. You done paid your rent. You done paid your tithes. Your children take care. This is your recreation of money. Pastor Bowden chooses to go see the New Orleans Pelican play with his $75. You choose to go put it on some slots. Same $75. I get you out of watching the game. You get you out of ching ching. Ching ching. Just make you feel good. And the quarter starts falling. Ching ching. But if your house know they're failing, or your children ain't got what they need, then you got a problem. And that's the only thing that with certain things that is not necessarily sinful. They can't become sin to us when they become, we become addicted to it and it becomes our God. Now, I can't pass by a gas station. I'm always feeling lucky. Don't even need no gas. Let me just run here and see could I get me a scratch off. I'm 10 minutes late for my doctor's appointment, but there's a gas station over there. Let me, you got a problem. Your behavior now has become addictive, and you're addicted to something that could become your God. So now look here. Let me go and finish this up. So we got to not act, don't act thoughtlessly. He said, now look, come back to this wine again. Back then, wine was the drink of the day. We can put Crown in there now. We can put Seagram in there. We can put Cavassier. You know, we can put whatever type of wine you drink in the day. You know, for some folk now, we might have to put some pills there. Anything that's going to cause your mind to get out of place. You know, too much weed to mess with your head. And it could be legal somewhere. But it may not be legal for you. You ain't got glaucoma. You ain't got nothing wrong with you. No doctor prescribed it for you. Now, if you just want it for recreation, 
I got a feeling I may have a hard time calling this sin if they done made it legal. If they done made it legal. Because alcohol used to be looked at as a sin, but they made it. But I do have a right to say, hey, your pupils done got so big that you can't see nothing. You done had too much. You done crossed the line. Now you borderline, you may be stepping over into something that's sinful behavior now. And the laws don't catch up. The laws just ain't caught up with it yet. So they, they, uh, trust me, they're out there trying to measure how much of it you can take before they consider you legally tox- intoxicated with it. Get a mic real quick and let me finish this up. I got eight minutes. You're a pharmacist too, right? Technician. Technician, okay. Well, you know enough about drugs to know which one can do something to you. <laughs> I was going to I was going to say that smoking as well is a setup for the government to pull you over even if you're not doing anything and decide that they smell something and they need to check your car. You don't necessarily have to be intoxicated. Yeah, those guys can pull you over for a taillight just to check your car. Yeah. So you see, it's dangerous anywhere you look at it. Especially if you're a Christian and it's illegal. Now, you're in a state, I think, in Florida, it's still illegal. Okay. And one day it's probably going to be legal here in Florida. But right now, it's illegal. So if you're a Christian and you know it's illegal, you ain't supposed to break the law. Unless you got a doctor's prescription to tell you you can do that. Even though it's recreational, it's illegal. Amen. Can I get an amen from everybody on that? We agree. We agree. In Florida, weed is illegal, ain't it? Huh? Did they, they don't legalize weed in Florida? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, I stand corrected. Oh, for medicine. Yeah, okay. I got that. Yeah, I figured that. Yeah, not for recreation. You just can't go out there and, and, and you know, get you about four or five of them. No. From the street, the street corner drugstore, you know what I mean? The guy on the corner, no, you can't do that. Okay. Now look what he tells us we need to do. He says, now, since we can't be drunk with wine, because it will ruin your life. Well, not only wine will ruin your life, a lot of stuff will ruin your life. Instead, be filled, he contrasts being drunk with wine with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you can have a joy that will last much longer and won't have no hangover to go with it. You can wake up in the morning with the Holy Spirit and you ain't got to be figuring out where am I. The, the room ain't going to be spinning around on you, you know, and you're trying to figure out how do I get to work today because I feel so. You, you can just be drunk in the Spirit and the Lord ain't got no problem with you being drunk in the Spirit. You just come to church and get your drunk on. Every time you come in on Sunday, hey, I come to get drunk today. You know, I'm going to get lit right here. So he encouraging that, brother. <laughs> he encouraging it. He encouraged us to drink this Holy Spirit. 100 proof of him. All of him. Drink him. Be filled with him. And this filling here is talking about something that can happen continually. This is not talking about when we got baptized, got saved, and the Holy Spirit came. This is talking about an experience that you can have over and over and over and over again. 
And so he said, look, man, when you do that and come to church and you worship, you ought to want to be filled with something when you come to church. And see, when you get filled, you start singing the right thing. You sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your heart. Psalms come from the books of Psalms. They used to sing those things. Hymns came about later because after the song, people started writing hymns. Hymns was designed to be devotional. And normally people wrote about their experiences and turned them into hymns that can be used to glorify God. Amazing grace is about an experience. A guy who was a slave trader, all of a sudden one day found out who Jesus was, came into the light, and said he thanked God for his amazing grace for saving a wretch like him. He was just talking about how bad he was. And a lot of these entertainers now, when you listen to their music, they're just writing about their life, most of them. They're telling their life story in music and song because people can remember that. And so he said, we should be doing the same thing in the church, telling stories from God's word in music and song so people can remember it. Music can be used as an educational tool in the church. He said, now making music in your heart. Your heart got to be in this thing, not just your lips. When your heart is in it, then that's when that joy comes, when your heart is in it. Then he says, when you're making this music, give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you have it, when we do that and we give thanks, then others are going to be blessed by that experience. So he's telling them, hey, you can have all these things going, but man, at the end of the day, you got to have the Holy Spirit. You got to get filled with the Spirit. You got to live and walk in accordance with the Spirit. Because all the time, you ain't going to have your Bible with you all the time, but you ought to have the Spirit of God with you all the time. I'm done. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.